0: When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Boy, I tell you, the older I get, the truer that gets. How about you? Excited about that. Well, I'm going to try to be through early, believe it or not, so we'll see what happens. That's my goal, because I want to definitely give Miss Carmel enough time to share about Vacation Bible School. So let's get rolling here. We're on our last part of the mission part of this series, dealing with purpose, mission, and vision, discovering God's dream for his church, discovering God's dream for his church. And I just want to remind you of our mission statement as we walk through, because it specifically deals with what we're looking at today. And it says, building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, we will pursue and fulfill our mission by loving God, loving others, serving all, and making disciples. And part of my goal in having this illustrated each week with these boxes is to clarify that to you and hopefully help you to understand but but also to help it get ingrained within us because if it's not in our head and our hearts it won't be lived out in our lives. So let's talk about this last one. We're at making disciples, making disciples. And today's sermon is titled from being disciples. To making disciples. Everybody who follows Jesus starts off a disciple. And we'll talk about what that means in just a second. But being a disciple maker is something altogether different. It's more than that. So let's stand in honor of God's Word. And let's take a look at two passages from Matthew. Jesus makes a promise in Matthew 4. And I believe he sends them on their way to fulfill that promise in Matthew 28. So listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 4, 18 through 20. Matthew says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's the promise. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And then we get to the very end of Matthew and Jesus makes this statement and in that crowd are those men that he made that promise to and he says these words Matthew says and Jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples let me say it another way go and fish for men go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, just help me to be faithful in presenting your word today. Father, I pray that we'll take it to heart. Pray that we'll see the need to aspire to be disciple makers. Lord, we understand that this is, and to be the best disciple maker we can be. We don't know what all your plans are for us, but Lord, you do tell us to make disciples. So we've got to get there. We've got to figure out what it takes to move from being a disciple to making disciples. For all of us, Lord, because that's what you want. So Lord, I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's talk about the difference in the two real quick. First, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. I've used these phrases before. They are either a learning follower or a following learner. And if you profess to be a Christian, then you are, by definition, a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you profess to be a Christian, you are, by definition, a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's a disciple. That's a disciple. But let's talk about what a disciple maker is. This is from discipleship.org. There's a little bit that's added there in bold print, and that's my addition because I thought it needed to be added. It says a disciple maker is a Christian who enters into relationships with people to help them trust and follow Jesus and help them become disciple makers and help them become disciple makers. I use the illustration of the idea of a person moving through their life and getting to the point where they become a parent, P-A-R-E-N-T. Now, I know that all of us are not parents, but for those of us who are parents, didn't becoming a parent rock your world, if you'll pardon me using that analogy. You're going along one day, And you're without a child, and you don't have a child, and then all of a sudden you're going to have a child, and then you have the child, and they you go through all the parts of parenting. I mean, your life is no longer your own, is it? It's lived for that child. And so there's this idea between disciple making that I want you to see that's the parenting part of spirituality. It's being a spiritual parent to others. And There can be a pretty good gap between serving all and making disciples. Just like there can be a pretty good gap between a fully mature 21-year-old and then a 22-year-old who becomes a parent. Y'all with me on that? Do you understand? Am I making sense with that? There's a difference. There's a feeling. It's very amazing. um, You often see in life that kids who drop out of church at about the age of 18, because they go off and do whatever they want, you know when I find most of them will start coming back when they have their first child. It's almost like they're saying, help me, Jesus. You know, help me. So that's the idea I want you to see. When we're talking about a disciple maker, we're talking about a level of maturity that Jesus is calling us to. Now, I don't know if you aspire to it or not, but here's the deal. Jesus aspires to it for you. Does that make sense? Jesus aspires to it for you. How do you know that, Brother John? Because Matthew 28 says, go and do what? Make disciples. So, let's look at three things today related to disciple making. The first thing I want you to see, if you're going to move from being a disciple to a disciple maker, no matter where you are is you got to understand who Jesus is because when you make disciples the main person you're passing on to others is not you the main person you're passing on to others is not you the main person you're passing on to those you disciple is Jesus and the Jesus you pass on is the Jesus they're going to pass on so understand who Jesus is there's, as just looking at the book of Matthew, it's amazing as I began to look at Matthew from the bookends of Matthew 4 and Matthew 28, and you begin to think about what it says about just these five areas. First, he is Messiah and Christ. What is a Messiah? What is a Christ? Of course, Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. The idea is the anointed one, those who were anointed, who had oil put on them as a sign of some being chosen, they were the chosen one is what they were usually were prophets, priests, and kings. And the idea of a Messiah who would come, the chosen one, had been around for a long time. I would even propose to you it's been around since the first sin, that God would bring a chosen one who would save people from their sins. And so you get over in Matthew 16, and Jesus has a conversation with his followers, and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter Led by the Spirit, we find out, says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood didn't show this to you. God did. And I'm going to no longer call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter, which means a little rock. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And I believe when he was saying upon this rock, it's a different word. It meant a big rock. I think he was talking about himself, because there is no other foundation that can be laid than the foundation of who? Jesus Christ. So he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. There is no other chosen one. There is no other way than Jesus. So you've got to understand who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. Secondly, you need to understand he's the deliverer and redeemer, He's a deliverer and redeemer. There's this neat passage in Matthew 18. As a matter of fact, I think this is where we get the idea of guardian angels from. Over in Matthew 18, 10, it says these words, and I'm just going to read it to you. He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, talking about children. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Isn't that an interesting passage? Now listen to what he says next. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And then he goes on to tell them about, what do you think of a shepherd who has a has hundred sheep and he can only count 99 and there's one missing? What do you think he ought to do? Well, he ought to go and find that lost sheep. And he's saying, that's what I'm here to do, to be to the deliverer. To be the redeemer. And and when you pass on Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple maker, you need to be. You need to pass on the Jesus who is the only means by which people can be delivered. The only means by which people can redeem. It's not by their good works. It's not by their religion. It's not by anything else. It's only through Jesus that people are redeemed. Number three, he's also king and lawgiver. The idea of king is very prominent in Matthew from the very beginning. You even have Jesus' lineage traced through the line of David, who was the king. You have the wise men coming from the east, which is a fulfillment of prophecy in Matthew 2, and they come to the alleged, quote-unquote, king of Israel, Herod, and they say, where is he who was born, what? King of the Jews. We've come to worship him, and we know that uh, that did not turn out well for many of those children. Who lived in the Bethlehem area because of Herod's jealousy and rage. But here's the deal: Jesus is the king. He's the king. As a matter of fact, at the end of Matthew, you have somebody saying to him, and I think it's either Pilate, it's probably Pilate, says, Are you the king of the Jews? And you know what Jesus says? It is as you say. It is as you say. Now here's the deal. If he we we understand the concept of president generally. And we respect the office of president, whether we respect the man. But the concept of king, we don't always understand. See, if Jesus is the king, that means I'm not. That means he's in total and complete control. He has total and complete authority. He is the king. He's also the lawgiver. And this idea of lawgiver comes across in the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, there's this phrase that Jesus kept using. He kept saying, you have heard it said of old. And then he'd state some law, and then he'd say, but I say to you, do this. You know what Jesus was doing? He told us, he said, I'm completing the law. I'm completing the law of God. Do you know that only God has the right to complete the law of God? I have no right to write an 11th commandment. Do you? But God does. Jesus did. So Jesus is the lawgiver. As a matter of fact, this is driven home in Matthew 17 when they're on the Mount of Transfiguration and you've got Peter, James, and John standing there with Jesus. And who would show up but Moses and Elijah? And Moses and Elijah, they're conferring with Jesus. And Peter gets this great idea where he says, hey, let's build everybody a shrine. Let's build one to Moses. Let's build one to Elijah. Let's build one to Jesus. As if they're all equal. And God the Father comes down in a cloud and says these words. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. Moses and Elijah, great guys. Wonderful guys. But beloved, they don't hold a candle to Jesus. So that's if you're going to pass on a Jesus, pass on that Jesus. See, it's it's key, if you're going to make disciples, what you pass on to others. He's also God with us. I saw this idea in the first of Matthew and the last of Matthew. Of course, the first of Matthew, when the angel comes and talks to Mary and Joseph, he says, he shall be called Emmanuel. Do you remember that? He shall be called Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Jesus is God with us. With us. Now, depending on how you live in your life, that can be a comfort or convicting, one of the two. But you know God is with us. And here's the wonderful thing. At the very end of Matthew, what does Jesus say to his followers? And lo, I am what? With you always. Did you know that God is with us here today? God is with us here today. We do not serve a God who is way out there. We do not serve a God who's out of touch with us. We serve a God who is jesus christ and who is the god with us and if we're going to make disciples we've got to pass that on to others and the last idea i want you to see it's so very important because the jews missed this to a large degree you've got to pass on the jesus who is the suffering servant he was the suffering servant see their idea of a messiah was not that there would be a a suffering servant it would be a a king david type of guy who'd come in and clean house. That's what they wanted to do to the Romans. Jesus said, that's not how it's going to work. As a matter of fact, right after Peter had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right after he had said that, and then Jesus had made this great statement to him where he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Jesus makes this statement, and this evidently from that time forward was the message of what Jesus says. It says, From that time, this is Matthew 16, 21. From that time forward, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be killed and raised again. He was the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 is the expression of that. It's still hard for the Jewish people to grasp that today. But I'm here to tell you, when Jesus came the first time, he came to be the suffering servant. Because we needed, to some, we needed somebody to die for our sins. We couldn't die for our sins. So Jesus paid it all. Amen? Jesus paid it all. So this is the Jesus we're talking about. Now, there's much more we could say, but let's let's understand if we're going to be disciple makers, then the Jesus we pass on has to be the Jesus of the Word, the Jesus of the Bible. And that Jesus must be clear to the next generation, because if it is not clear to to the people in which we are taking on to make disciples of, it will not be clear from that point forward. So understand who Jesus is. And secondly, faithfully follow Jesus. If you're going to do it, faithfully follow Jesus. By the way, I'm just going to throw this out there. Confession. I'm often a poor disciple maker. I am. I might be a pretty good preacher. I might not be a bad pastor. Sometimes I might be an okay administrator. But you know, you can have all the degrees, you can have all the titles, you can do all the, you can check all the boxes, but you can still be a poor disciple maker. And you can also be the kind of person who doesn't have a bunch of degrees, and maybe doesn't check off the boxes people have, but be a great disciple maker. And I think you'll understand a little bit more what I mean by that as I share this with you. First, you need to follow his teachings. Follow his teachings. There's some neat things said about the teachings of Jesus. The first thing that's said about the teachings of Jesus is that he went about teaching. As a matter of fact, our whole model for our Sunday school is built around, in my mind, two passages, the end of Matthew chapter 4 and the end of Matthew chapter 9, where it says, and Jesus went about to all the villages teaching and preaching and ministering. He set the example by doing. He was teaching, teaching, teaching. But he wasn't just teaching. He was teaching with authority. He was teaching with authority. Jesus wasn't citing sources or putting footnotes at the end of his paper. When you're Jesus, you are the source. He spoke with authority. And God, that's one of the reasons I think in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. You don't have to go anywhere else. If you're under the authority of Jesus, you've got the authority to make disciples. So teach with authority. But here's the neatest word of all because it happens two places in Matthew 7. With regard Matthew, in Matthew with regard to his teaching, Matthew 7, 28 and Matthew 22, And as I studied this word, I thought it was very interesting. It says, Matthew 7, 28, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching astonished at his teaching. And then it says again in Matthew twenty-two thirty-three, a little bit later on, and when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And I, I thought, what does that word astonished mean? What does it mean? Because I want to be astonished with the teachings of Jesus, don't you? I, wanna, I don't think I can be a disciple maker unless I'm astonished. You know what the word literally means as I was looking and studying? It's the idea of being struck by lightning. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have ever been struck by lightning? Well, my wife has been struck by lightning. Okay? You can ask her about it. She was laying in bed one night, and it struck her on the thigh, went down to the first floor of their home, and it, it landed in the sink of the house. So we'll just leave that at that, and you can ask her about it later. But can I ask you something? Do you think there's something about being struck by lightning? Do you think being struck by lightning would affect you? Okay, You know the teachings of Jesus ought to do that to us. Amen? They ought to astonish us. It ought to be like being struck by lightning. I would propose to you that maybe part of the problem in our world today is we don't get astonished by Jesus like we used to. We ought to get astonished by Jesus and what he said. Maybe familiarity bred contempt. I don't know. But sometimes think god needs to hit me with a lightning bolt of his truth and you want to follow his example there's there's a great article by robert coleman and if you want to contact me later i'll share you the results of it but jesus was the perfect disciple maker and here's how he did it talking about faithfully following jesus He prayerfully prayerfully selected those that he would make disciples. He didn't make disciples of everybody, but at the end of his life, he was able to say, it is finished. He associated with them that he sought and selected. He spent time with them. You can't make disciples unless you spend time with those you're disciple-making. Boy, we live in such a busy world, don't we? I mean, there's everything going on, but if you're going to make disciples, you've got to make time to make disciples. Consecration, the idea of being obedient to God. The concept of consecration and holiness, I'm afraid, is not as important for many of us as it needs to be. Consecration. Imparting things to them. There's a transfer of godly wisdom and character. I mean, if people spend enough time around us and we spend enough time around other people, we'll influence one another either in a good or bad way. Impart. Can you imagine how how it would affect you to spend three years with Jesus? How cool that would have been. Boy, I'd have some questions. Demonstration. We see from the example Jesus showed them how to do it. He said, if you want to know how to teach, here's how to teach. As a matter of fact, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they looked at him and they saw a model of prayer. So you have to have a demonstratable life. Delegation. There's a sermon that I preach from Matthew that speaks of one of the commands that he gives his followers where he says to them, when nobody has any food, he looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. That's what he says. He provides the food then, but you know what he does? He lets them distribute it. And there has to be a delegation process. It never lays on one person's shoulders to disciple make. You're always... Seeking to delegate if you're going to disciple-make. Seventh, supervision. You've got to work. You've got to spend time with those that you're seeking to make disciples. And you may say, well, Brother John, I don't think I'll ever do that. You know what? This ought to be your aspiration. It ought to be your desire. It ought to be your dream because it's God's dream for you. It's God's command to you. So whether you do it or not, you need to know how to do it because can I tell you? Not every spiritual parenthood is planned. Did y'all get that? Sometimes God will bring people along your path and he'll expect you to disciple them. And you'll either be a good disciple maker or a poor one. And finally, reproduction. Christians ought to be reproducing Christians. Christ classes ought to be reproducing classes. Churches ought to be reproducing churches. If they don't, they set themselves up to die. Because you take the United States of America and if you take our birth rate and you bring it down to a certain amount, physically, what's going to happen to the United States? There'll be no one, will there? Eventually. So faithfully follow his teachings and finally follow his commands. You know, the very heart of the Great Commission says, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you to do. There's 40 commands just in the book of Matthew. I would encourage you to read the book and learn them. So, if you're going to be a disciple maker, you've got to embrace all that Jesus is. You've got to faithfully follow Jesus. And then you need to fully forsake everything else. Fully forsake everything else. First, change your citizenship. Not literally, but spiritually. And there is a sense that when you become a child of God, your primary citizenship moves. You're no longer primarily a United States citizen. Oh, you are. Now, some of you may not like this, but can I tell you this? About 200 years from now, you will be in your homeland longer than you will have been here. If you're a child of God. If 200 years from now, if there is life after death, which I believe there is, then you will have been in your homeland longer than you will have been here. And 75 times, I think it is, in the book of Matthew, the idea of kingdom comes up. Jesus even said, my kingdom is not of this world. We're living for the kingdom. We want to be good citizens of the United States of America, beloved, because that's what Jesus taught us. If you're a child of the king, then you're a citizen of the kingdom. First and foremost, so change your citizenship. Secondly, surrender to his lordship. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 7 when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's that kingdom idea, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So surrender to his lordship. And finally, just go and make disciples. Just do it. Like Nike says, just do it. It's time if you've got the Jesus you're to share down and you're faithfully following him, then leave your nets behind and go. Leave your cares behind and go and say, God, give me people to disciple because that's your will. Give me people that I can pour myself into because that's your will. Because I know unless, Lord, we produce Christians, then we ask for the death of the church. At least the local church. So we need to aspire to be disciple makers. If you're going to be a disciple maker, you need to embrace all Jesus said he is. You need to faithfully follow Jesus, and you need to fully forsake everything else. So I'll leave you with this one question as we close Are you ready to become a disciple maker? I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's like being a parent. It, it didn't come with a manual to be a parent, did it? Can I tell you, disciple-making did. God's given you and me a manual to be disciple-makers. we will simply answer the call. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to talk to two groups here. One is the person who's never... Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a disciple maker. You can't be anything unless you become a disciple. Jesus Christ died on the cross that if you would trust in him and turn your life over to him, you would have eternal life. Why don't you give your life to him today? Why don't you trust in him today? Why don't you turn your life over to him today? Here's the good news of salvation that even though you and I are sinners in need of a Savior, That Jesus Christ came and he gave us life for us. That if we would turn and trust in him, we would have eternal life. Why don't you do that today? And if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, make that commitment to be a disciple maker for all to see. Father, I pray you'll speak to our hearts today and draw us near to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.